Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. to ACF, you guys. We are so excited that you guys are here with us this morning. I don't know if you saw or not, but it snowed outside. All right, yes, come on. Everything is as it should be in Alaska now. It is awesome. Man, we are so excited uh, for today. I'm so excited to be with you today. If you're a guest of ours this morning, I just want to say welcome We are so glad that you are with us today, that you would take time out of a Sunday morning to come and spend some time with us. Uh, Can we welcome everybody that's watching online right now? Man, we are so glad that you guys are tuning in, joining in, people all over our city, our state, the country, all over the world, uh, join in uh, every week for our streaming service. And so we're just grateful that you guys are with us this morning. Well, if you're a guest of ours, again, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are smack dab right in the middle of a series called Homewreckers. Sounds like fun, right? Yes. Uh, Talking about, but we're talking about marriages, we're talking about families, and we're talking about the different things that can wreck our homes. And we believe it doesn't matter if you're married, if you're single, if you're young, if you're old, that we all have tendencies and we can all pick up habits and we can all do things that can either wreck our future home or that can wreck our current home. And so like a couple weeks ago, Pastor Brian talked about selfishness and how selfishness will destroy a home. Um, Last week was an awesome week. We, for the first time at ACF, did a whole message directed at singles. And, and it was an important message. And we got a lot of questions like, hey, have you ever done messages for singles before? And we knew it was something we needed to do. So we did it last week. And man, we heard a lot of great feedback from that. And if you're single in this room and you weren't here for that, I would encourage you to go back, get our ACF app, and you can watch that message. It was a great message. And, and in reality, it was for all of us. Because we all realize, and Pastor Brian said this last week, and it's, it's so true, that we are all one stupid decision away from being single, if you're married in the room. And so, but Pastor Brian talked about that last week. And so today, uh, we're going to continue the conversation on things that can wreck our marriages. And, and so I'm going to ask, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. 
We're going to start in verse 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can pull them out. Um, if you have the ACF app, you can open it up, and, and the, the, the passages will be in there. They're also going to be behind me on the screen. But just um, kind of in honor of God's Word, we don't always do this, but I'm going to ask that we would stand up together as we read through Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. And I'm going to be reading out of the ESV version. And this is Paul writing to the Ephesians. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, uh, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church." his body, and himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he may present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished it and cherished it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You guys can have a seat. Well, I feel like I just opened up a huge can of worms. People are going, man, the one time I invite my neighbor to church, this is the passage we read. Yeah, I did. I opened a can of worms by reading this passage, and I get it. It's, it's a difficult topic to talk about, and, and it, it's, man, it, it's tough to talk about these things and to understand what's going on here. And I, one reason I feel like it's such a can of worms is because I think there's a lot of confusion about this passage. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into this today. We're going to open that can of worms Side note, has anyone actually ever opened a can of worms? I was just thinking that, like, has anybody gone to the store and bought a can? You open up, it's worms. I don't know if that's really a thing, but we opened one this morning. Let's just say that. Talking about this structure of the family unit that Paul sets up, and specifically talking about this idea of of submission and this idea of of sacrificial love. And, And I get that it, it's, man, it's a difficult topic to talk about, that there's a lot of confusion in it, and done right, it's actually a beautiful, amazing thing, but done wrong, it can be pretty destructive. And as I was preparing for this, 
this morning as I was praying to talk about this, I knew like, man, this is going to be difficult. This is going to be awkward. This is going to be, you know, a conversation that some people like get really uneasy about. And as I was, as I was getting ready for that, as I was preparing, as praying and reading, I started just to kind of wonder, why is this so difficult to talk about? What makes this idea of submission, what makes this idea of sacrificial love, what makes it so difficult? Now, I understand there is like a thousand reasons why this is an awkward subject to talk about. I I do understand that there's a lot of reasons, but as I was kind of reflecting on this, there were a few that really stood up to me. Two of them really jumped to the forefront of my mind on why this can be a difficult topic. And the first reason was this. The first reason is it is because it is completely countercultural. It's completely countercultural. It's like, as we talk about this thing, I can just hear people saying things, and I've had it said to me before, like, Josh, it's 2019. Like, we don't do this anymore. Wives submitting to their husband. Like, we're getting away from that. It's countercultural. But the truth of the matter is, is that the gospel is always countercultural. It's been countercultural from the very beginning when Jesus showed up. It was absolutely against the culture that he was living in. This idea of, of the kingdom of God, it, does, it doesn't look like the culture of this world. But in reality, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's so much better. And, 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 and when you say it's countercultural too, the, thing, the truth about it is, is that when Jesus comes and when he speaks in the gospel, it does something. It draws lines in the sand. It draws lines in the sand, and it causes you to make decisions, and that's kind of tough. See, when it comes to Jesus and when it comes to the gospel, there's just not really gray area, middle ground when it comes to the gospel. I actually did a sermon on this a couple years ago that there's no neutral. Jesus says that I I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And what he meant by that was not like, hey, we're going to go to war and we're going to fight Rome. What he meant by that was like, I I come to cause a decision to be made. There's there's no neutral ground. There's a line in the sand, and you're on one side of the line or you're on the other. And and passages like this kind of draw that in us. It's like, oh, I don't don't know. That really goes against the culture. And and is is that a negative thing? Is it a positive thing? It's in the Bible. I'm not sure. But I think that's one reason why it's a difficult topic to talk about. But the second reason why I feel like it's so awkward and so difficult to talk about is because, well, let's just say this. The people of God throughout the history of the church, at least, have not always done the best job displaying the gospel to the world. That the people of God have not always done the best job of loving the world well and even loving its own well. And I would say that the people of God even at times have done damage to the message of the gospel and done damage to the people that that message is trying to reach. I mean, we see this all the way at the beginning when Jesus shows up and like the Pharisees are doing this very thing. They're, they're taking scripture and, and they're, they're taking it kind of out of the context of which it, it was written and the spirit of which it was written and the heart of which it was written. And they're using it to rule over people and push people down and lift themselves up. And I would say that miscontextualization of scripture, pulling it out of the context and using it for yourself has done a lot of damage and it's been done a lot in human history. And I would even go as far as to say there's been times in human history where people either unintentionally 
and at times intentionally have even weaponized the word of God. They've weaponized scripture and they've used it to, to do terrible things. They've, they've ta- taken miscontextualizations and they've used it for, for abuse. They've used it for degradation. They've used it for segregation. They've mistreated people because of taking scripture out of what it's actually saying and they've used it to build their own kingdom instead of the kingdom of God and a lot of damage has been done. And this is one of those areas where damage has been done, where I believe scripture's been taken out of the contextual form of it and, and used to, men have used to rule over women. And I would say that in the church that is very true. Outside of the church, like that happens all the time. Like, yes, a, a, a wrestle for power, a wrestle for authority, and doing that, you, you step on people to get your way up, and you can use and abuse whoever you want as long as you get to you know, move yourself forward. That, that, that's how the world operates. But the bigger problem is when we see the church operating in that way. And at times, passages like this have been used in that way. In fact, when I say the word submission, I understand that 50% of that is 50% of the room hears that word very differently than the other 50%. There's a feeling inside their heart, there's a feeling inside their soul that's more negative for women typically, not always, but typically than men. And there's a reason for that. It's because men we've not always done the best job in sacrificial love to women throughout church history, throughout the history of the world even, I could, you could say, and that we've done a poor job in shouldering the responsibility of sacrificial love. And in so doing that, we've caused damage, and we've done it in the church. In fact, as much as just a couple weeks ago, just a couple weeks ago, a prominent evangelical church leader just said some pretty terrible things about a sister in Christ who's working hard to see women move forward in their faith, and even men move forward in their faith. And this prominent leader said some derogatory things about her, and when I saw that online, I was like, man, he just made my day tougher today right now. Like, that didn't help. And I think a lot of it has come from a misunderstanding of Scripture. Now, I'm not going to stand here to tell you this morning that I get all Scripture perfectly, that I get this without flaw or anything, but I believe that there's been some damage done. And, and just to say, as a man, and as a pastor, and as a leader of a church, to the women in the room, if you've ever, if you've ever been abused in a, in a sense of authority and submission, and you need to shut up and submit and not question, and all those things, if you've ever experienced that as a leader, I want to apologize for that. I want to say I am sorry that you have experienced Scripture the way it was never intended to be used. If you've been beaten down with Scripture, that is, that is not the intent of what's written here. I want to apologize for that. I want to apologize for the comments that were made a couple weeks ago. As a leader of the church, this is not moving the kingdom of God forward. But this morning, I do want to move forward in this. And if you've been damaged, I hope that you can move into a place of forgiveness and healing through that. But we're going to talk about this word submission today. We're going to talk about it this morning. See, when I say the word submission, I don't know, there's like 250 people in this room. There's probably 250 different definitions of the word submission. 
Everyone has a different thought when they think about that in their minds. Some, some guys and some ladies in here, when you hear the word submission, you're like, yes, MMA fighting, the submission hold. You got to get them to tap out. Submission. That's true, but if you're operating that way in your marriage, there's some problems, okay? I want to go, go duck hunting this weekend. I got to get my wife to submit, get her to tap out and just let me go. The submission hold. That is, that, that's, that's a definition of submission, but that's not the one that's being used here, clearly. Um, I know there's a lot of military in the room, and, and you kind of maybe hear the word submission, and maybe you think about it in a different way, kind of like, you know, the enlisted guy uh, submits to the lieutenant, who, and the lieutenant submits you know, to the captain, and the captain submits to the major, and you kind of got this structure and this order of things, and I would say that's closer to what Paul is talking about here. And in fact, he does, the verb he uses for submission is kind of in a military picture of it, but for today's intents and purposes, I want to even use a different definition I believe a strong biblical definition of the word submission, which we see all throughout the New Testament. And I got this, I actually heard a pastor friend of mine use this definition when he was talking about submission. And it's really simple. It's simply this, to open your heart to the will of the other person. That submission, when we're talking about it today, this is the definition we're using, to open your heart to the will of the other person. It's a willingness it's an openness. It's not forced. It's not tap out, okay, and now I, I will open my will to you. No, it's a willingness to do so, an open heart to do so. And in reality, we see this throughout the whole New Testament. Jesus displays this perfectly for us. While Jesus is on earth, people are asking him about his ministry, and he says, look, I don't do anything of my own accord. I only do the will of the Father, right? It's, it's, I am submitting to the will of the Father. In fact, in the New Testament, we see a moment where the humanity of Jesus has a different will than the Father. Did you, re- did you ever realize that? That Jesus, in a moment, he has a different will than his Father's will. And it's right before he goes to the cross. And he's praying, he's like, God, if there's any other way, I'll take that way. If there's any other way, I'll go, I'll go that way. I, the cross, is there any other way? And then he finishes by, by saying, but God, not my will, yours be done. This beautiful moment of submission, an open heart to the will of his father. See, and so we have this biblical example of submission. You see, Paul understands something when he's writing letters like this. Paul understands that pride and an authoritarian spirit, pride and an authoritarian spirit will destroy the unity of a family. It will destroy the unity of a church and it will destroy the message of the gospel. Pride and an authoritarian spirit. I believe, I believe that In the New Testament, the supreme Christian ethic that we are called to live out, again, the supreme Christian ethic, in other words, the way Christians are supposed to interact with each other, interact with the world around them, the supreme Christian ethic that we see in the New Testament is an ethic of humility. That that is the calling of the Christian life, is a calling of humility. And in do so, we do not destroy our message of the gospel, but we humble ourselves. Again, Jesus was the supreme example of that. Humbling himself to the cross, even death on a cross, scripture says. Humbling himself to wash the disciples' feet. 
right? Being the greatest of all, yet being the servant of all. The very thing that Jesus calls greatness is to be the servant of all. And that, I believe, is a supreme ethic because you cannot love somebody and have full pride in your heart. You cannot be an example of Christ's love with pride in your heart. Pride is the in direct opposition to God and to man. See, when you have pride in your heart, you are in direct opposition to God with your pride, saying, God, I don't need you. I got this. My way is better than your way. When you have pride in your heart, you also do the same thing to man. I don't need you. I'm better than you. And it puts you in opposition with God and man. That's why the supreme ethic is humility. Every Christian is called to the ministry of submission. Every Christian is called to the ministry of submission. See, to be humble, to act in a humble way, is to submit to one another, to open your heart to other people. And that's why Paul starts this whole passage out by saying, look, submit to one another. Before he ever jumps into husbands and wives and all that stuff, he says, submit to one another because beautiful submission propels a beautiful gospel. Beautiful submission propels a beautiful gospel. So how does this play out in the family unit? How does this play out in our homes? What does this look like? What did we just read a couple minutes ago in Ephesians chapter 5? See, I want us to understand something. We did not start reading with, wives, submit to your husbands. We started reading with, look, be filled with the Spirit. The days are dark. Don't walk in the way of the world. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Lift each other up. Be thankful. See, and then he says, submit to one another, and then he gives us a structure for the family unit. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives sacrificially. And then he continues on. You know, and, and that part we, we struggle with. It's like, oh, submit to my husband, really? I get it. We're going to talk about this. But then, like, that's the awkward part. And then Paul continues reading. We didn't finish the passage, but he continues reading by saying, children, obey your parents. I'll tell you what, no parents have a problem with that passage. <laughs> no one's going, oh, that's awkward. No. It's like, let's hammer that one out. Right? And, but he doesn't stop there either. Then he says, fathers, don't exasperate your children to anger. Like, there's this, this flow and this structure. See, our God is a God of structure. Our God is a God of structure and order, and it is in everything. Nothing he has created, nothing he does is accidental or without purpose. Our God is a God of structure and order. We see it from the very beginning in creation. In fact, did you realize, I don't know if you know this or not, but structure and order is the very stumbling block for Darwinian evolution of the world. It's the one thing that they can't seem to figure out is how does complete structure and complete order come out of chaos? And I'm not here to talk about that, debate that, or anything, but I'm trying to show you that our God is a God of structure and order. In fact, we see it all throughout the Bible, all throughout Scripture. We see it in, we see it in, the, in the Old Testament. The Israelites are wandering through the desert, and God says, look, I want you to build something, uh, build a place that's mobile, but uh, you can worship me in this place. I want to give you a place to worship me. And in fact, I will reside in this place. You will know I'm with you, and I will be in this place. And then he gives them the structure and order to, to, to set it up. And, and if you've ever read through the Bible, I'm guessing you maybe have skipped over that part. 
right? It, it's a lot of, and then do this, and then do that, and then do this. But, I mean, it's, it's complete structure. Like, and then these poles are going to be held up by ropes made out of goat hair. But you got to make sure the, the hair on the ropes all points to the ground. And that rope's going to be tied off to a stake that's hammered halfway in the ground and halfway out of the ground. I geek out over the tabernacle. Get over it. Okay? And so if you want to talk about it. But structure and order. But did you know that, that it actually has a purpose? That the goat hair represents sin to them. They understand that goat hair represents sin. And the hair points to the ground because that's where it's headed eventually. And it gets tied to this stake that gets tied to Christ. And yet the stake is only supposed to be hammered halfway in the ground. Because Jesus wouldn't stay buried. He would raise again from the dead. You see, with structure and order with God, it always, always points to Jesus. Throughout the Bible, throughout our world, throughout the universe, Paul declares the very nature, declares the glory of God because it's structure and order and it all points to Jesus. Like I believe like mathematics, I believe this so much, I believe mathematics come out of the character of God. They're complete structure, they're complete order. Now, I know you students and calculus are like, no, mathematics come from Satan, all right? That is the only place they come from. No, complete structure and order. And God sets up structure and order for the family unit as well. And there's a purpose for that because it points to Jesus, just like the rest of the structure and order. And there's a name, there's a name that we're going to use today for this structure and order, and it's called headship. It's, it's, it's a word that gets used in the church. Uh, there's biblical examples, and, and, and there's a few uses of close to that word in, in Scripture. And so this idea of headship, and it's the word we're going to be using this morning. And so as we jump in to talk about headship, I want to talk about, to help you understand, just a quick little understanding of what headship is in the family unit. It means this, essentially. Headship is equal in value, but different in role. Equal in value, but different in role. In other words, a husband and a wife have exactly 100% the same value. One is not more valuable than the other. We see this in Genesis, right? God says, we are going to create man in our image, and he created them both, both male and female. That both male and female carry the image of God. And that every human being since then, since the dawn of time, carries the image of God. We call it intrinsic value. We say all humanity has value because all humanity bears and carries the image of God. And because you carry the image of God, you have value. So headship is equal in value. No difference. In fact, Paul takes it even further. Paul dives into a culture with this. Paul says, look, in Christ, there is now no difference between Jew, Greek, between slave and free, between male and female, that we are all one in Christ. And let me just tell you, like, this was scandalous to write in this culture. This is one of the things that got Paul thrown in jail. Like, when Paul is saying, look, there's now no Jew and no Greek, that was a Big statement to make. Jews, you are not better than. We are equal with those in Christ. And then slave and free. He goes right after the economy. We're the same. We're equal. Then in a patriarchal Roman culture that saw women as property and not people, Paul says, look, there is no male or female. 
You see, the scripture, it elevates women. It doesn't beat them down. Paul says that we are the same in Christ. And so that is what headship is. Headship is equal in value, but different in role. And one role is not more valuable than the other one either. It's kind of like if you've ever seen like a beautiful dance, a beautiful waltz, a powerful tango. There's two different roles to be filled in those things. One person cannot do both roles. Two people can't do the same role. When that happens, it just turns into a mosh pit, right? Everyone's just jumping around, banging into each other. Hey, it might be fun to watch, but it's not beautiful. No one's moved by the power of a mosh pit. Wow, that, was, that was gorgeous. No, but we are moved by incredibly powerful, beautiful dances. And in those, there are two very important roles to fill. And so let's, let's jump into this idea of headship a little more. I want to take a moment. I want to talk about what headship is not. I want to talk about what it is not because I think there's, this is where the majority of the misunderstanding comes. I think this is the, where the majority of the pain that this topic of submission can come from is when we misunderstand what we mean when we say headship. I want to talk about a few things that it is not. And number one is this. Headship is not a declaration of independent, uh, I'm sorry, it's not a declaration of intelligence or capability. Headship is not a declaration of intelligence or capability. And I feel often when I have conversations with women, this is how they feel. Like, oh, I am to submit because I'm not as smart as my husband, because I'm not as capable as my husband. No, that is not what headship is at all. In fact, I want, I want to read about some incredible women in Scripture who were very intelligent and very capable Women can be equally as intelligent and equally as capable, and sometimes in cases more intelligent and more capable than men. Like, have you ever heard, uh, have you ever read Proverbs 31? Have we ever read, actually read it? I think it's popular. We hear that term, Proverbs 31. I want to be a Proverbs 31 woman. Awesome. Do you know what that means? Because this woman is straight up boss, okay? Like, she is legit. This Proverbs 31 woman, first of all, off the top, she's a businesswoman. Off the top, she is a businesswoman. She runs businesses. She's incredible. She's a businesswoman. Then we read about her. She goes and she buys and she sells land. She makes major acquisitions for her business, major acquisitions. Then after she buys this piece of land, she decides, oh, this would be good for a vineyard. And she invests into a vineyard on the land. In other words, she's an investor. She's a businesswoman who makes major acquisitions and she's an investor. Then it goes and says that she, she, bought, she makes clothes and she sells them. She's an entrepreneur. She's an entrepreneur. So we've got this businesswoman who's making major acquisitions She's an investor. She's an entrepreneur. Oh, and by the way, she's incredibly kind and generous to the poor. A life of generosity, right? And then beyond that, she has employees that work for her. And her employees love her. She takes care of them. All while raising kids in the home and teaching them the ways of the Lord, right? And then it says, like, when it gets cold, she makes sure that everyone's got warm clothes, this, this woman, she's legit. And I, we don't know much about her husband other than that he sits at the gates with his friends. <laughs> That's what we know. <laughs> oh, and that his friends think he's awesome. They praise him because of how awesome his wife is. They're like, 
bro, your wife, she's awesome. You done good. Like, good job. We don't know much about him. I, don't, I can't tell you that this woman is more intelligent or more capable than her husband. I don't know. But I think I can confidently say this woman seems like she's more intelligent, more capable than me. Right? Headship is not about intelligence and is not about capability. Or has nothing to do with that. Headship is not about chores. Another major misconception. As I talk, especially, it's especially to young people today, especially to young people who want to get married, who's just gotten married, there's this idea of, hey, we are going to be an equalitarian couple. And what that means is that we're, we see ourselves as completely equal, no difference in value and no difference in role. And I, would, I tell them that's, that's not biblical and that's dangerous. But I understand what you're saying and I think you have a misconception. Because I say, you want to be equalitarian. What does that mean to you? And typically the guy will start like, look, I can get in the kitchen and I can cook. It doesn't have to be my wife. And when they say that, I say, a good job. Guy's going, I can do the laundry. And I go, you better learn how. (laughs) Absolutely. The wife going, look, I can get out in the yard and I can mow the lawn. Okay. I can change the oil in the car. That's awesome. You're talking about chores. You're not talking about roles. But we have married together chores and roles. It doesn't matter who cooks and who cleans and who vacuums and who does the laundry and who does the yard work and who works on the car. Yeah, there's traditional understandings of that, but I would say, again, that comes from a misunderstanding of what scripture is saying. I can promise you, I can promise you I'm not off on my theology. When Paul writes, wives submit to your husbands, and he's not thinking, that means you don't get to mow the lawn, all right? He's not going, yep, you can't work in the garage, wives, submit to your husbands. That's not on his mind, okay? It's not, chores are not on his mind. But we confuse chores and roles. And this is where a lot of this comes from. And, and, and now it swings to, oh, yeah, we need to be this equalitarian couple and, you know, instead of a complementarian couple because, like, we can, both, we can both cook and we can both do laundry. Like, yeah, of course you can. Of course you can. But that's not what it's talking about. But I believe that's a major pendulum swing from the 1940s and 50s and 60s of woman get in the kitchen and cook and make sure that everything's ready for your husband when he gets home and the paper's ready and his slippers are out and his favorite radio channel's on. And yeah, that was, a, a, that was taught then, even in the church, out of scriptures like this. Again, misunderstanding of what roles are. And damaging, too. Both are damaging. There are no roles and your role is to be in the kitchen. Both very damaging. Both very damaging because they don't point to Jesus. Okay, and so... Roles are not chores. Headship is not dictatorship. Headship is not dictatorship. It does not mean that the husband rules the family with an iron fist in his way or the highway. And and I don't need to consult my wife. I don't need to talk to my wife. Like, if you're married to that Proverbs 31 woman, I really hope you're talking to her a lot, getting her advice and, and wisdom Right? It's not about dictatorship. I love this. Uh, John Piper, he, he talks about a conversation he had with a husband and wife. And, and I love what he says because the husband was trying to rule the family like a dictator. And he was, he was 
trying to take scriptures to justify it. And this is what Piper says when he's talking to the husband. He says, you're uh, uh, he says, you're taking words like authority or leadership or submission, and you're stepping away from the Bible and filling those words up with stuff that you want to do. You're not getting this from the Bible. See, words like authority and leadership and submission, those, if you carry authority or you carry leadership, what does Jesus say? Oh, that's a life of serving. The greatest will be the least. Right? But when we fill them with what the world's definition is, it becomes damaging. And we, we cause problems in our families or in our workplaces or in our neighborhoods or our churches because we want authority and we want leadership in positions, but we don't want to serve. You see, headship is not dictatorship. Headship does not mean that the husband just... And that's the way it is. You're going to do what I say, right? Sometimes it's about going, wow, honey, wife, you, you are much smarter than me in this area, right? If your wife is a CPA, I hope she runs the family budget, right? Like, I hope she does. And to go, what do you think we should do in this situation, okay? That's not taking headship off yourself and putting it on her. It's just not. And that's not dictatorship either, uh, headship is not ownership. And, and I put that in, what I mean by that is, is a wife's identity in Christ does not come through her husband. And I know that has been taught in the past in places. But a wife's identity in Christ does not come through her husband. It's not ownership, it's partnership. It's team, it's that dance, it's that waltz, it's that tango. It's complete teamwork, working together to advance the goal of the family, to take steps forward in our spiritual direction, which I do believe that the husband is to set the direction spiritually in the home and that as a team, that they work towards that together. It is not ownership. Again, headship is not a result in value. We talked about that, equal in value. And finally, I put this one in. Uh, headship is not just leadership. Now, there is a special type of leadership, a a unique leadership called to the husband that is for the family, but, there can, but it's not a blanket leadership. In other words, there are incredible, amazing, God-gifted women leaders. And, and, and just because of headship does not mean that women don't have any form of leadership. But there's a special, unique calling to leadership that does fall on the husband. And so I don't want there's those ideas to be confused. That yes, there's a special leadership, but yeah, man, there's amazing women leaders in the church, in the secular world, in the business world, there's, women can be incredible leaders. This is not a statement on women being able to be leaders. But remember, this is the structure that God has given us, and this structure is to point to Jesus, and we'll get into that next, but beautiful submission propels a beautiful gospel. That is what this is about. See, if headship in the family is about roles, then what does that look like? What are those roles? If they're not chores, if they're not, you know, if it's not about intelligence, then what do these roles mean? What do these roles look like? Well, just in, in, a, in, a, in a kind of a skeleton form, I want to lay out just real quick what this passage says about these roles. 
It says, wives are to submit and honor your husbands. Husbands are to sacrificially love your wives. Children are to obey your parents. And fathers are to not provoke your children to anger. This is the structure that is set up here through this passage. And the beautiful thing that we see about this, and the, re- excuse me, the reason why I believe this is not just cultural for them then, but doesn't apply to us today in 2019, is a few reasons. And one of the big reasons is because we see this structure throughout the, all over the New Testament. It is not just here in Ephesians. We see it in Corinthians. We see it in Ephesians. We see it in Colossians. We see it in Titus. We see it in Peter, right? It's all over the place, this structure. And so it's important, if it's that much all over the New Testament, we better understand what it's talking about. And again, the other reason why I don't believe it doesn't apply to us today is because, again, the point of this structure is to point to Jesus, and that it is the example that is left to the world for what it looks like Jesus loving us. That a strong family unit is the example left to the world, and we'll get into that in a minute. So what is it teaching this? What do these roles look like? Well, first I would say this, that headship is this. Headship means that the husband is directly responsible to God for the family. That there is an order of which God deals with the family and it starts with the husband. That is the first part of this headship. That the husband is the head of the family and he is responsible to God for the way he deals with his family. And let me just tell you, gentlemen, that should terrify you. It does me. Am I dealing with my family well? Am I sacrificially loving them well? Am I doing this well? Like, there is a call. There is a call of headship to the husband. And that is one of the primary things of headship is that you are directly responsible to God for your family. And then what it says is husbands are to sacrificially love their wives like Christ loved the church. What did that look like? That looked like death. That looked like Jesus wringing himself out, pouring himself out for humanity, for the church that he loved so much. It's the sacrificial love. It is a pouring out Like, I would say this to be true, that husbands, if you're in this room, your role is to pour yourself out for your family every single day, that when you go to bed at night, your head hits the pillow with nothing left, because you've laid it all out, you've poured it all out, you've sacrificed it all for your family, to love your family. And you might go, well, Josh, how does that practical? How can I do that day after day after day after day? Keep pouring myself out if I keep emptying myself, there's nothing left. Remember how this verse starts. Remember it starts with Paul saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be worshiping God. Bathe in prayer. Have a grateful heart. See, when Paul says be filled with the Holy Spirit, the actual translation of that, it doesn't really work in English. But what he's saying there is be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's this idea of a continual thing. It doesn't stop. It's not a one-time event. And so, husbands, the call for you is that you are being filled with the Holy Spirit every single day. 
that you're being filled with the word of God, that you're bathing yourselves with prayer, that you're encouraging other men and, and, and lifting each other up so that you can sacrificially love your families and pour yourself out for them every day. And as you go to bed at night, and you've laid it all out, you've poured it all out. It's the next day that you go to the Holy Spirit and ask him to fill you again. And you bathe yourself in prayer again and you're in the word of God again. Because I'll say this, if we're not pouring out the Holy Spirit, if we're not pouring out the word of God, if we're not pouring the living water of Jesus that's in us out on our families, then what are we pouring out on them? If not that, then what? And I will say this too. We're gonna screw this up. (laughs) We can't do this perfectly. We do this by the power of God, and when we screw this up, there is grace, and we come back to grace, and Jesus restores us. And if you're not doing this today as a husband in your house, you can start today. Amen. You can start today. And let me just finish by saying this. This call of headship is so strong on the husband, it's so strong on the husband that Peter tells us that if we don't do this well, if we don't sacrificially love well, then God doesn't hear our prayers. Did you know that? Peter tells us if we're not sacrificially loving our wives well, it inhibits our prayers from getting to God. It is a serious calling on our lives. The burden of headship is great but it is also greatly fulfilling. And and, and wives in the room, if your husband is not a Christian, scripture tells us like that doesn't like get you opt out of like godly submission. In fact, in Corinthians, Paul writes that if if your husband's not a, a Christian or not a believer, that through beautiful submission, it might actually win him over to Christ. Because, again, it is the supreme example of Jesus loving the church. What is that example that Jesus gave us? Submission and sacrifice. Jesus to the church is submission and sacrifice. Submission to God, sacrifice for the church. It is the calling of a family to submit and to sacrifice. It's a strong, powerful calling. And I do want to stand up here and say this as well, because I know there's been confusion. I know that this area has caused damage specifically to women when they've heard things like, yeah, your husband's beating you and abusing you. No, you just got to submit. That's not at all what this is saying. That is not at all what this passage is saying. And so I would say, if you're in this room and, and you are being abused, and you're in an abusive marriage or an abusive relationship and there's domestic abuse happening or something of the kind, get help today. In fact, if you need to talk to someone during worship, we have a connect room over there. Go and talk to somebody. But the picture and the image we're given is submission and sacrifice and it's a beautiful thing because it points to Jesus. You see, it is the example Paul tells us in this passage. He says, look, it's a mystery, but what I'm talking about is Christ in the church. Submitting to your husband, sacrificial love for your wives is Christ in the church. It's, it's like the main image, the main vehicle that God left behind to show the world what Jesus did for them should be the family unit. When, when non-believers look at a Christian's family and they see this beautiful harmony 
this beautiful teamwork, this beautiful submission and sacrifice, it's the image and it's the picture of Jesus. Again, the structures that God sets up throughout all the world, they always point to Jesus. It's not accidental. And I want to reiterate again, man, if you're not doing this well, husbands, if you're not sacrificially loving well, you can start today. There's restoration. Wives, if you're not submitting well, if you're trying to take the headship from your husband, if you're going, no, I'm not going to follow you. I am smarter than you. I am more you know, intelligent. I'm more capable. I'm going to take this from you. You can start today. There, there's grace and there's forgiveness. And if you're a single parent, what does that look like for you? I would say this. It's submission to Christ and receiving his sacrificial love for you and walking in that. And it does mean, yeah, I need to be the spiritual leader for my children right now, but I'm allowing Christ to be the headship of this family. And there's restoration for you and there's grace and forgiveness and healing for you in that. Because I get that this is kind of difficult to talk about. And speaking of restoration, speaking of grace and forgiveness. I want to talk about something coming up here at ACF Church. You see, next weekend, starting on November 22nd, we are bringing up, we're bringing up an organization called Peer Desire Ministries. And this is all about gaining and growing in sexual integrity in our lives, in our families, in our children, in our church. This is for all of us, you guys. Please do not miss this event. We believe in sexual integrity so much that we're willing to pay to bring these guys up, and they are quality. We don't always get the opportunities to have people like this come up to Anchorage. But we believe this at ACF Church. We believe that all of us, every single person in this room, every person's world is sexually broken in some way or another. We believe through sin we're sexually broken. And this Pure Desire ministry is about sexual integrity. It's not just for single people, right? It's not just for dudes who may be struggling with porn. It's not just for ladies maybe struggling with porn. It's not just for parents who have teenagers. And I got to get my help for teenagers, right? It, it's all of that. It's not just one of those things. And yet it does cost. It's $49 per person, so about 100 bucks for a couple. But let me just tell you that this is the, one of the best $100 you can spend on your family. You will not be disappointed. And that $49, it comes with, comes with a lot of material. You're going to leave equipped with tools, with material, for, for across the board. Again, with dealing with your kids, dealing with yourself, dealing with your marriage, dealing with your singleness. And for teenagers, it's free. So if you're 19 and under, it's free. You do need to register for it. So please, right after church, go back to the Engage table. Sign up. You do not want to miss this event. We believe in this so much that we're willing to pay for half of it. In other words, it actually costs $99 per person to go to this event. And as ACF, we said, we want to put our money where our mouth is. So we're going to pay. We're going to cut that in half. We're going to pay for half of that. We don't want anyone not to go because of finances. And if you need scholarship, reach out, contact us. We want to see every single one of you there. I believe is one of the most important things you can do this year for your family or for yourself. Don't miss the opportunity. But as we wrap up, as we close, this idea of submission, I know it's caused a lot of damage in people's lives and it's got a bad stigma attached to it. 
but I hope we can see it for what it truly is, something beautiful, structure set up, structure set up of equal in value, different in role, and when done right, and when done well, a beautiful submission propels a beautiful gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you first and foremost demonstrated beautiful submission. You demonstrated beautiful sacrifice. God, that you came and you submitted to the Father and through that you sacrificed your very self for our salvation. While we were still your enemy, you died for us. God, you led the way. And God, I pray that we would now walk into this with our families, that we would walk into this as husbands and wives, teammates, together. And through this, that our families here at ACF Church, the family units that are part of this, God, that we would be an example to the world of who you are, of your great love and sacrifice for us. And God, areas where we come up so short in this, God, I pray your grace would cover God, where there's been damage and pain, I pray for healing and forgiveness. Jesus, we ask that we would have the ability to be able to do this through the filling and the power of your Holy Spirit. Because we cannot do this well on our own. But God, give us what we need that we would submit to one another, God. That we would sacrificially love sacrificially surrender, God, to each other. We love you, Jesus. Amen. I just want to grab these real quick. These action cards, we've been doing this for the last couple of weeks now, taking a next step. And we believe that everyone in here has a next step to take. And maybe for you, that's submitting your life to Christ. Through submission, going, Jesus, you sacrificed for me. I want to surrender my life to you. Maybe that is to surrender and submit your life in obedience. Like you haven't taken that step of obedience to be baptized. Well, check that off. In a couple weeks, we're going to have baptisms here. Maybe you guys need to have a conversation with your spouse. Right? Maybe you need to go sit down and husbands, you need to go, honey, am I sacrificially loving you well? That's a scary question to ask. Wives, honey, am I submitting well to you? Or do I, you feel like I'm trying to just take it from you? That's a scary question to ask. Maybe your next step is to make an investment into your family or yourself by coming to Pure Desire next weekend. But you can check these off and, and put them in the offering as it goes by. Thank you, guys.